Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning. Good to see each of you here. Thank you, praise team, and thank you for each of you who were worshiping together, singing, lifting up your voices to our awesome and wonderful God. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 21, we're going to continue to unpack this history that Dr. Luke recorded for us, and he recorded it for the early church so that they could see um, what what was going on, how the church began, and how the gospel spread um, throughout not only just starting in Jerusalem, but then going to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we see here that, um, that it wasn't just a ministry that was going on. Um, There was a movement, and that movement was the Spirit of God uh, working in and convicting people of their need of a Savior, and they placed their faith and trust in Jesus. And as they did that, they followed the Lord in obedience and baptism, Um, just as Jesus was baptized and, and had that example set before. So that's what was taught, that others, as they placed their faith in Jesus, then they would um follow the Lord in baptism and uh, that passion we see and we're going to see it here the passion of the relationship with the creator God it's exciting as we see see here this passage that we that we're going to look at we've kind of had a hint of it a couple weeks ago we looked at how um, uh, Paul was desiring it and his his, his deepest want of getting back to Jerusalem. And then we're going to see here as he's traveling back uh, what that looks like. And then as we go through verses 1 through 26 today of chapter 21, it's actually going to set the stage for the rest of the book. The rest of the book is based upon what we're going to go over today. And so this is, this is an important element, important part of this book, as Dr. Luke records um, for us. And I'm excited to walk through it with you. Um, if, if you would, if you have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen as well. But Acts chapter 21, and we're going to read, as I said, uh, verses 1 through 26. If you would, follow along with me. And when we had parted from them... And set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there, um, Patara. And having found a ship crossing Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left side, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, Tyre for, there was ship, there, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out to the disciples... We stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and we went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from um, Tyre, we arrived at uh, Tolemus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him, and had 
he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manson and of Cyprus, an earlier disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all we know that there is is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men. The next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to dig into it. And we pray that as we unpack this passage, Lord, that your spirit would work in our minds and our hearts, that when we leave here in just a few moments, that we will be changed and different because we've met with you, the true and living God. So may your spirit work freely in our minds and in our hearts. Lord, help us to humble ourselves to submit ourselves, as Andrew prayed earlier, Lord, that we would submit ourselves to you and to your word. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pretty cool text here as we dig in, and I just want to kind of walk through this. Um, notice that in the beginning of this passage, uh, it has that word we. And so it shows once again that Luke is with them. He is eyewitness of what is going on. Um, to uh, to Paul and his journeys, he's recording that firsthand here. He says, "We, we, when we had parted from them, well, where did they part from? Remember where Paul was? He was with the 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 elders of Ephesus, and he kind of gave them a final proclamation um, because he he told them that he would no longer see them anymore. 
And so uh, knowing that he was headed to Jerusalem, um, he journeys on his way and he, we see some very descriptive details. Why? Because Luke is with him. Luke is traveling with him. He knows. So when they go past Cyprus, he says that they go down to keeping Cyprus on his left. So what does that mean? It means that they're south of that and they're journeying on a boat and they go to the coast. And as they get to the coast of the Mediterranean there, um, they just travel south until they come to this place where we see um, in verse seven, it says, when we finished the voyage from, from Tyre, we arrived at um, Talmus, and we greeted the brothers and we stayed with them for one day. It says, then on the next day we departed and we came to Caesarea. And there is where the action begins, where Paul really, um, uh, where Luke begins to explain what is coming uh, with Paul. And so what's interesting is we, we are told in verses three and four that the disciples at, at, at Tyre, uh, Paul is with them for seven days. And, and there's an interesting note here before we jump forward in verses three and four that they are told through the spirit. So the Holy Spirit is working in them, in these disciples that Paul has stayed with, not to go to Jerusalem. I don't know about you, but sometimes as God works in your mind and in your heart, there's something that God tells you to do. And then sometimes good and godly people come along your path and they say, hey, God told me. Has that ever happened to you? Um, here we see that the spirit is moving in these people. And as they are um, deciphering what the spirit is telling them, um, there is something that they that is keeping them from from wanting and blessing Paul to move forward. We see that all throughout our text here. Paul is not headed to a great reunion here. There is, there's great dissension and there's going to be ultimately persecution that we see that Paul is going to have to endure. It, it reminds me that sometimes we have to be obedient to the spirit in our own minds and our hearts. And knowing that sometimes there are other people outside who can give us wisdom and give us guidance, but we must be obedient to the Lord because each one of us stand before, will stand before God one day and give an account for what we've done. And so if you're looking to please everybody and what they have to say in their view of your life, you're probably going to be disappointed. And when you stand before God one day, you probably will give an, you will give an account and you, you may, you don't want to miss what God has for you. So don't, don't live in regret. Okay. That's why it's, it's so critical and important as we walk with God is that relationship each day we're seeking the word of God. We're seeking the Lord in that relationship. We're praying, we're listening, we're desiring God. What do you have for me? And the scriptures confirm that. Other people around us help to confirm that. But at the end of the day, it's you and your walk with Jesus. It's you being obedient to what God has called you to. We've seen the text before that Paul knew that it was the spirit of God in him that was calling him back to Jerusalem. And he wasn't going to let somebody give him a different message that was going to take him off that task. So he arrives at Caesarea. He entered the home of Philip, the evangelist. He's one of the seven. He has four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Well, it's interesting that 
why all that information? Well, Paul wanted to make clear that 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 or Luke wanted to make clear that Paul, as he was journeying back, he had people who were faithful and committed to God around him. And so he goes in verses 10 through 11, we hear about this man, Agabus. He's a prophet and he comes down, he travels from Judah and he comes and he takes Paul's belt, he takes Paul's belt and he binds his own hands and feet, which I'm not sure how that happens. I read that text and I'm like, hmm, you got a belt and okay, but he did it. And, and it became very apparent and very clear to those who were sitting there of his message. He's saying, uh, he, he foretells of how Paul will be bound by the Jews and then he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. Very descriptive. It just doesn't say that Paul is going to be bound up. It, it, it actually explains to us what is going to happen before it even happens. And so uh, Agabus says, listen, the man who owns this belt will be bound by the Jews and he will be handed over to the Gentiles. And so it'll be interesting as we go on through this text for the weeks to come, what happens? Is this going to come true? Um, we're going to see it does. All right. And so um, it says in verse 12, when we heard this, this is all of Paul's uh, disciples with him as they have gone and traveled. As they heard this word, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. This is the second time now that he's been urged not to go to Jerusalem. It's probably the third time because back in chapter 20, he was urged not to. Second time here in this chapter. Paul says this, his response, he says, why are you, what are you doing? He says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? Paul has a great passion and compassion for the people he's with. He doesn't just throw them to the side and disregard them. What we see is we get a glimpse of Paul's heart. He actually has a very sensitive heart. He, he said, you are breaking my heart. You're weeping. Now, again, remember where Paul has been and where he's been coming from. He just had this meeting with the, the, the leaders of Ephesus, the, the church leaders. And, and they, they end that time um, kneeling, praying, hugging. And, and it's just a time of sadness. And then they, they get to hear. And now here's another group. And Paul is encountering the same thing. Like, when is this going to end? He's like, what are you doing? What, notice what he says after the question. He says, I am ready not only to be imprisoned. So Paul gives us a hint. Maybe he already has an inkling that he knows this is going to happen. I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to what? He doesn't just say die, but to die where? In Jerusalem. So Paul's thinking, and he doesn't know what God has planned, but as he's looking and observing, he's ready for whatever's coming. So he's going to arrive in Jerusalem, and he's ready and prepared for whatever God has. And that may mean death in Jerusalem. Why? 
He doesn't just say, I'm ready to die. He doesn't just say, I'm ready to die in Jerusalem. He says, I'm ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. It's not Paul's cause that he's taken up. It's because of the name of the Lord Jesus. It's because of what God has called him to. Because of the message that God has called him to proclaim that he has lived out. And so verse 14 tells us those who are there, um, he wouldn't, they, they wouldn't, they, they, there was no way that they could persuade him. He was set. He was going to Jerusalem. Again, he's not far. He's on the coastline. He's, he's a little ways journey now. It says that the group then ceased and they said this, let the will of the Lord be done. I think sometimes as I have walked and talked with those who are parents, you know that it comes a certain time and a certain place in our children's lives that we realize that we, we have a lot of influence, but our control is less and less. And where it comes to a point where you have to acknowledge and say, if you're going to make that decision, then, then that's your decision. And we hand them over to the Lord. And we say, if, if this is your decision, then may God's will be done. And that's what they're doing here. They're committing Paul to the Lord and asking for his will to be done, which then kind of reminded me back to Jesus' prayer when his disciples asked him, would you teach us to pray? And it would be valid for us to be reminded of that as well. For not our will to be done, but for his will to be done. We should take great comfort in that. That we serve and we acknowledge that there is a God who is in control of all the universe. And he's worthy to be trusted. Where we struggle is when things don't go our way. Or we want the easy way. Or we don't want to suffer or see those that we love suffer. But yet God in his great wisdom and the fact that he is perfect, he has a greater plan than what we can see at times. This reminds us of that. So we come to verse 15 and it says, after all this, we get ready. And we went up to Jerusalem. Some disciples from Caesarea went along. And so the, the group is actually growing as they're going to Jerusalem. And then they stay at, in, uh, in a man's home there. Um, Mason, Manason, you choose how you want to say it. God provides. God provided a place for them to stay as they are there now lodging in Jerusalem. Verse 17 through 26 gives us our next um, section, and it sets the stage, as I said, for the rest of the book. So they arrive in Jerusalem, verse 17. The brothers gladly receive them. We see that uh, listed amongst them are, are James, is James and the elders there, the elders of the church in Jerusalem. If you go back to the early part of Acts, we see that God did some miraculous things 
as the gospel was shared about who Jesus was and many Jews turned to Jesus, there were thousands and thousands of those who had given their heart to Jesus. And so they arrive in Jerusalem the next day, verse 18, um, Paul and Luke and the group, uh, they go into James and all the elders. Paul gives an account, verse 19, Paul gives an account of what took place amongst the Gentiles. And notice the wording there. It's not what Paul has done. Luke records for us what Paul says. He says that he related one by one the things that God had done. It's a reminder to us to not take credit for what God does. God does the work. God changes hearts. He is the one who is able to change lives. We are just tools that he desires to use. So as Paul gives this account, the response of James and the elders is this. They're glorifying God. They're praising God because they hear of this work amongst the Gentiles. That it's not just in Jerusalem. And this is Paul. This is not Paul's first time back in Jerusalem testifying of what God is doing amongst the Gentiles. This is probably his third or fourth time in Jerusalem as he's sharing and testifying of God's work amongst the Gentiles. Their response is still this. They glorify God as our response should be as we hear God continuing to do work in people's lives. We glorify the Lord. It says, when they heard this, they glorified the Lord, verse 20, and they said to him, and so now they're going to give an account of what God is doing and give him a little bit of insight. I do find it very interesting that Luke does not record that this is James. James is the leader of the church there in Jerusalem. He just gives a very broad uh, that this is them. This is the group that's going to respond back to Paul. And part of that, I think, is because of what is to come, that, that Luke didn't want to have recorded for the church to read this later and to blame James. All right? Uh, that's my take on it. You keep following the text and you do some study and dig into it. It is important as we look at the wording, though, that I think uh, it is very broad here when it says, when they heard of it, they glorify God, and they said to him, it wasn't just James, whereas Luke could have easily said James said. He doesn't. It's a group of them. And they say, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. Remember, Peter continues to proclaim the gospel to those of the Jewish tribes. They continue to believe and they continue more and more that, that, uh, that accept Jesus as the Messiah. Then they say this, they are all zealous for the law. This term here in the Greek is not the term that would be used in a negative sense as zealots, those who were of the sect who would raise up and be uh, combative. Um, this is actually a simpler term of those who had a deep desire and yearning for the law. And so the customs of, of what the law had been teaching and what Moses and the law say. And so it says in verse 21, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are amongst the Gentiles to forsake Moses. So there's rumors going around. Isn't it in some ways comforting to know that rumors in the church didn't just appear? Actually, they were back in Paul's day 
as well. And so there's rumors going around in Jerusalem about who this man is, Paul, as he's been traveling across Asia Minor and across um, all the different lands amongst the Gentiles. Rumor has gotten back. Well, how does rumor get back? Well, some of it are from the Jews of those cities who would travel back to Jerusalem to come to different festivals and different times. They would come and they would bring back reports. Some of those Jews were not believers. We saw through the text leading up to here that a lot of the Jews did not believe. There were some who believed. But as those Jews who did not believe in Jesus, Paul's preaching and teaching this, what was their response? Their response was over and over again to get the crowd going against Paul and to kick him out, ultimately to bring harm to him or to throw him out of the city. And so these same men and women who are traveling now to Jerusalem are going to spread these rumors because here's this man preaching some other gospel other than what Moses has told us. They've rejected the Messiah. And so they've come to Jerusalem, they've spread rumors, and now the, the believers, those who are a part of the church here in, Bruce, in Jerusalem, are filling Paul in and saying, hey, this is what's being said about you. Well, Paul's already given them account of what has really happened, about how God has worked, and about how those who had received Jesus and how God would, was working in great ways. Well, these, this rumor is that Paul is teaching all the Jews, the Jews amongst the Gentiles, to forsake Moses. And then he, they're very descriptive here, telling them not to circumcise their children or to walk according to our customs. And so they ask this question, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. And so as, as Paul is listening, he has to be excited because he hears that there are many Jews who have trusted Jesus as their Messiah. But as they continue to share, his heart must begin to sink as he hears that there is this rumor. And so they say, what then is to be done? Why? Because once they find out that Paul is there, the same thing that's been happening from city to city is going to happen there. So they come up with a plan. Verse 23, do as we tell you. There are four men under a vow, and this is probably a Nazarite vow. And if you do a little bit more study, you can find out more. I'm not going to cover a whole lot of it. But as these four men um, were were underneath this Nazarite vow, it came to a time and a place where they were then able to present themselves and, and then um, uh, to be free from that vow. And part of that vow, as they would go, was not to touch a dead body, not to eat unclean things, and not to shave their head. And there's some other things that go along with that Nazarite vow, but those are the main issues and or the main items and so when it comes to shaving their head it's a symbol that releases them of that vow that they have fulfilled the the desires and the requirements of that vow and so as as these four men have have done this and 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 are living um, according to these vows that they that they had taken 
um, the, the Jewish leaders of the church said, hey, we want you to take these men who are under this vow, and we want, to, we want you to purify yourself. Again, doing some study and doing some research will, will bode us well here to look at the Jewish customs. Paul was just in a bunch of Gentile cities. If he's coming to Jerusalem and he wants to worship in the temple, he must first purify himself because he's been amongst the Gentiles. We're going to look at in just a minute a text that we looked at last week, which was Ephesians. And if you remember anything from last week, when Jesus came, he broke down that division, that barrier between Jews and Gentiles. This is one of those barriers. The Jewish custom, before you could go and worship in the temple, you needed to purify yourself. And so you needed to go. Find a pool, dip yourself into, and that's what the Jewish leaders are saying. Listen, take these four men. You purify yourself, and when you take them, um, you pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what you have, uh, what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. And so as these four men also come, there is, uh, there is a price to be paid. There's offerings that will be sacrificed. And so the men are asking Paul, hey, you pay for that. You pay for those animals that are going to be needed to be sacrificed on these men's account. And so Paul does that. says he takes them. Um, um, and he... The purpose of this is, again, to, to, to downplay the rumors that Paul has just told people, and especially the Jews, abandon the law. You don't need the law anymore. And, and so they're trying to combat that. Now, verse 25 gives us a little bit more insight and actually helps us to see an earlier text and all that's in that. So verse 25 says, But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been a sacrifice to idols, from blood, and what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. So those four things they go back to, and you can write this little note there, Acts 15, verses 19 through 20. Because when Paul, as he's going out and spreading the gospel in his first journeys, he's seeing Gentiles continue to give their heart to Jesus. But there's dissension. There's there's this issue between Gentiles and Jews. Hey, the, the Gentiles need to be circumcised. Hey, the Gentiles need to observe the same um, the same kind of laws as far as eating. They need to be underneath the law. And so there's this big discussion as Paul goes into Jerusalem and shares what God has been doing amongst the Gentiles. And they form this letter, James and the leaders of the church in Jerusalem and Acts 15, write this letter. And so Paul and others take it to the church in Antioch and it continues to spread about four things. It's not about circumcision for the Gentiles. It's not even about eating whatever food. It is these four things that you abstain from food that's offered to idols, that you abstain from eating blood, and that from what has been strangled. You don't eat any food that has been strangled because why? Because the properties of that blood continue to be in that animal. And then from sexual immorality. You don't have the right to go and to do whatever you want in, in, in a sexual pros. What's that word? The. Proskimity, what is it? 
promiscuity. Thanks. Promiscuity. You don't have the right to just do whatever you want because you're under the, you're, you're under the grace of Jesus. And Paul writes about that in the book of Romans. Are, are we free to sin that grace may abound? No, no. That doesn't give us a, a license to do whatever we want to do. So as we see this, verse 26, then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple and in given notice when the days of purification will be fulfilled and offering presented for each one of them. So Paul did exactly what the Jewish leaders of the church in Jerusalem asked him to do. I wrestle with some of this and you can wrestle with it too. Um, when you look at Paul and when it comes to the Jewish living and as a Jew, what is, uh, what is required for a Jewish believer and what is required for a Gentile believer? We as Gentiles, I believe today, we are not bound by the law. The Jews, I think it is very difficult. And I'm sure there's difference of opinions even as we sit here. There is a passage, though, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20, that's, that helps us to see Paul's heart. It's up on the screen. It says, when Paul took the men, not that one. Got it there, Alana? There it is. To the Jews, I became a Jew. Why? In order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. We see at times, even in this book, in Acts 16.3, when Paul circumcises Timothy because he knew that those would observe that this man, Timothy, as he's traveling with Paul, would know that his father was a Greek and so he had Timothy circumcised so it wouldn't prevent the gospel being taught and being heard. At times, Paul would live according to the law so that the Jews would believe. He didn't want to put a stumbling block before them. When we see what Paul is doing, though, as Paul continues to go around there is this thought that those who are the Jews in Jerusalem, who are not believers, are looking and seeing him as a seducer. And that takes us to the book of the Bible that is sometimes difficult to read. You know, the law, when we go to the first five books, how many of you, as you're reading through the Bible, you kind of skip through some of those, those books and you say, man, that's really difficult. I'm going to go to Psalms or the Gospel of John or something easier. Well, those first five books are critical and important, and especially when you get into Numbers and Deuteronomy, because they help us to understand some of what the law was. And so when we look at Paul and what's going on, those who were Jews and in Jerusalem as part of the law, if you were considered a seducer, you were to be put to death. And so in Deuteronomy 13, it gives us clear pattern of what, what, is, what is happening here. The Jews, according to what the law of Moses says, is they are accusing Paul of seducing other men and women and children, of walking away from God, 
They're following this new God, Jesus, the Messiah, that they do not believe is the Messiah. And so they will consider him a seducer. And what happens to those who seduce and bring people to other false gods? Deuteronomy 13 says it very clearly. They should be put to death. And so what's coming for Paul? It, it gives us a foreshadowing of what's going to happen. That ultimately the Jews, and we saw this from Artabus, he, he already tells us, hey, this man who owns this belt is going to be bound by the Jews and will be handed over to the Gentiles. Sounds like someone else, doesn't it? Sounds like our Savior, Jesus, who was brought by the religious leaders, brought to the Gentiles, and was crucified. Romans 15, verse 31, Paul shares and he knows what the dangers are in Judea and Jerusalem. As Paul walks and he continues to teach about Jesus the Messiah, we see not only from his writings but his example that he is willing to do whatever it takes so that people may hear that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Christ. He also lets others know that the law is unable to fulfill the requirements that are needed. And so that's why in Romans 6 verses 14 and 15 and Galatians 3 23 in Galatians 4, verse 5, that Paul will say specifically, circumcision is nothing. Because it's not the circumcision that saves them. They're placing their hope, they're placing their faith in the works of the law. The works of the law was intended to be a tutor, to bring along God's people so that they may see the Messiah than their need for it. And that's what we see in 1 Corinthians 7.19 and Galatians 6.15. We see in this text, and we're going to see in the weeks ahead, that the Jews miss that. Paul says, I go to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And I believe that should continue to be our heart. So we come to this and we say, how does this apply to our lives? Good information? Interesting background and history. I have this note. Sometimes doing the right thing won't keep you from the trouble ahead. But you will know that doing the right thing, that God has ordained whatever is to come. And it won't be the cause of your own sin. Paul, in his journey... It wasn't he was disobeying God and so he was going to be persecuted. He was going to be bound. No, he was doing the right thing. But we must remember that even though we may do the right thing, that may not prevent bad things from happening. But it does give us peace. And we can take heart. That as we seek to do what is right and what is good, that our great God, who is in charge of all things, has ordained that for us. And he will give us the strength. He will give us the wisdom. He will give us the guidance that we need 
to walk through whatever that looks like. I say all of this in broad terms because I don't know what God has for your life. I don't know what persecution, what hardship, what trouble God has. But I will tell you this. What we do matters. How we live, how we speak, how we spend our time. But we must understand that sometimes doing what is right will not keep us from the trouble ahead. It actually puts us right in the middle of it. Don't avoid it. Don't run from it. Don't try to get out of it. Find peace, contentment. Find the presence of your God right there in the middle of it. No matter what it may require of you. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the testimony of Paul and that he was willing to do what you've asked him to do. And so he's entered into Jerusalem. He has submitted himself to the authorities there of the church. And Lord, he wants to do what you want him to do. He's not perfect. Paul tells us other places that he did what he didn't want to do and he didn't do what he knew he needed to do. And so just like us, he is, he was a human being, a human man who had his faults and sin. And yet in his, the fullness of his heart, he desired to obey you. And I believe there are a lot of people who sit here and who are listening today who that's their desire to, that as we walk on the face of this earth, we desire to honor you, Lord. And so I pray that as we walk forward, we wouldn't grow weary. We wouldn't get discouraged. We wouldn't give up. But as we looked at last week, you preordained the works that you have for us. And so may we be true to those. Knowing that our works display our faith. They don't help us to obtain our faith. They make our faith real. And so I pray for peace and strength. I pray that we will continue to do what you've called us to do. To love those that you've put in our path. To do the little things, Lord, that maybe no one else will know, but that you know. Help us to be faithful to you in spite of what may come. Because you are worthy. And because you're good. We love you, Lord.